All right, guys, we're back in Peter today. So here in a few moments, we'll look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12 is where we'll be at today. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. By way of introduction, I just want to ask you a question. Um, that would you love to live when you hear this term phrase? Who wouldn't who wouldn't want to live a good life? The good life. You've heard you've heard that tossed around. You know, living the good life. That's what we're going to talk about today, what that means in the scriptures. So who would not want to live the good life? Or who would not who would not want a blessing, right? When you ask somebody how they're doing, they say, oh, I'm blessed. So these are, these are just phrases that get thrown around, which actually those, these phrases are in our text today. So when we think about living the good life or living the blessed life or, or this one, who does not look forward to their inheritance? For many, you know, when we think about, when they think about the, the good life and the blessing, it's all from the inheritance they're waiting on. Unfortunately, that um, you guys have maybe seen it in your family circles or friends. You know that that can get kind of ugly when you get siblings fighting over the inheritance. But the good life, what it, what is the good life? You know, when you think about different people's different idea of the good life. For some people, it's just retirement, man. If you can just make it to retirement, that's the good life. And I mean, I I do look forward to maybe someday being able to retire, but. Uh, what about this one? Winning the lottery. That's a, the good life. Seen that go south many times or heard about it. For some people, living the good life, attaining that good life is just nothing more than, than pleasure. Maybe through illicit sex, drugs, these type of things. The good life. So today, guys, we're going to look at, um, we're going to see what the Bible says in our text today about, about, what it, about inheriting a blessing and, and really, that good life and what it is from God's perspective. So if you have your Bibles, guys, if you wouldn't mind standing, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12. through 12. It's been a few weeks since we've been here. 1 Peter 3, 8-12. Peter says this, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and seek good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> Father, we just come before your throne, Lord, once more, and we just ask you, God, for your grace to help us to receive your word, Lord. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would minister to your people, God, as your word is proclaimed today. Um, I pray that that your, your people, your righteous ones, Lord, who are here today, God, would be built up in their faith, would be strengthened. Um, I, I pray that you would give clear understanding, God. I pray for those in this room, Lord, who do not know you, Lord, that 
that your Holy Spirit would draw them, Father, that you would work in their hearts, convict them of their sin and of their need for Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, we're just going to really by way of review, look at this first phrase. Peter says to sum up in the NAS or, or finally, he's saying, finally, um, to sum up. So, so he's at the end of a section, not, not the end of the letter, obviously, but he's at the end of this section that, he's, that we've been in, that, that he's been in all the way back up to chapter 2, verse 13, or maybe even verse 11. If you guys think about the past several weeks that um, when we was looking at this text, so basically, he's just summing up what he had said earlier in, the, in those scriptures, all the way up through two thirteen to where we're at now. Where at first he, he just talked about our relationships as believers to different spheres of authority, right? To the to the governing authorities, uh, to the the slave master relationship would be in our case it'd be like the workplace, the employee employer relationships, how to deal with difficult people, um, but really just how to submit to authority. And these type of things. And then, and then, of course, last time, the last two times, we looked at the marriage relationship. And so he gets here in, in verse 8, and he says, To sum up, finally, he says, all of you, all of you, in other words, the whole Christian community that he was writing to, all the believers, this is a, 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 like a general exhortation for, for all, is what he's saying. And so I want to ask a question that we're going to come back to throughout the sermon. Really, I guess you could say the, the main point of the whole thing. We're going to have three points, but this is really by way of a question. This is the question we want to answer today. How do we inherit this blessing or this good life? How do we inherit this blessing? You can see the blessing in, at the end of verse 9. You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing... And verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and see good days, okay? To love and see good days or, or the good life. How, how do we inherit this blessing or this good life that it's talking about? That's what we're going to try to answer today. And so the first thing we're going to see is in verse 8, to answer that question. How do we inherit this blessing or this good life? Our first point in verse 8, we must have the right attitude. We must have the right attitude in verse 8. To sum up, he says, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. This word harmonious, it literally means, to, to, it literally means same think or, or think, the same, think the same way. Same think. In other words, it's a, he, he's calling us, he's calling his readers and us to a, a common commitment to the truth. To the truth, which produces unity. Not just a truth, but to the truth. It's having a common commitment to the truth, which will produce unity. And what is, what is the truth? When we think about the truth, it's being like-minded. That, that's, another, that's another phrase that describes this harmony, being harmonious. Like-minded about the truth, the gospel, about Christ. It's having a harmonious attitude and being united about Christ, about the Gospel, about the Great Commission, about the main things. That's what He's calling us to. 
Romans 15.5, Paul says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So it's being harmonious. Having the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. In other words, rather than being divisive, this, this, this word harmonious, this attitude, I guess you could say, brings unity and enriches the fellowship inside the body, inside the church body. Instead of finding all the things we can disagree on, this word is being, it's, it's being harmonious and like-minded in the main thing, is what Peter's saying. Philippians 1 verse 27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's many things we can divide over. This is calling us to unite over this one main thing. The next thing he says, he says, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic. Literally sharing the same feeling is what this word means. Sympathetic. Caring deeply about the needs and the sorrows of each other. It's the, 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 the truth that we all know. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's the idea. The same feeling when, when, when our brothers and sisters are rejoicing, to rejoice with them and to weep with them. It's this kind of attitude. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So in other words, he's calling us not to be so occupied with our with ourself that we forget each other. To be harmonious, to be sympathetic. The next, the next word is brotherly, or yours may say brotherly love. Brotherly love. Obviously, this, this word, it's a general term in the Greek, it, so it refers to brothers and sisters, right? It's not just, not just brothers, but our, our brethren in the Lord. Bearing each other's burdens, praying for one another, forgiving one another, admonishing one another, building one another up, all the ways that we show love to one another. And this is an important theme in this letter that he wrote. Just to be reminded, chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, this we looked at several weeks ago. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls, that was at the time of our conversion, for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. Chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And then in chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Again, that's an important theme in this letter. And so the question, by way of application, is does this describe you? Do you have love for the body of Christ? Generally speaking, guys, none of this is imperfection, right? There's only one who's perfect. But generally speaking, these things should describe us. We need to be reminded of this on occasion. And, 
And really all you got to do is, is, is really engage people with the gospel and you'll realize why we need to remind ourselves and remind others of this truth. What 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. That's one of the tests of Christianity 101. If you, know, if you want to know that you've passed from death to life, one of the things that's going to be different is you're going to have a love for the brethren. You're going to have a love for other Christians. Have you guys ever experienced that in your life? Maybe for some of you who were old enough to remember, maybe your, your immediate attitude changed towards Christians, towards the people of God after your conversion rather as before. You know, because you, if, if you engage people, you, 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 can, you can hear that kind of language. You know, they talk about, you know, that they believe in Jesus and this and that, but then they'll say something like, but I can't stand Christians. That's... That's a red flag right there. So, does this describe you here today? Do you have a sincere, genuine, not perfect, but love for the brethren? Next, he says, kind-hearted. Kind-hearted or compassionate. Feelings that come from, from the inner parts. Literally means our intestines. Okay, so, but it's from the gut, from the, from the inward man. This kind-heartedness, this compassion that He's calling us to. And then lastly, humble in spirit. Humble in spirit. Do you consider others more important than yourself? That's really what would describe this being humble in spirit. Remember, point number one is, is having the right attitude. When we think about our question, how do we inherit this blessing or this good life? We must have the right attitude and who better to see about this attitude than the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2? A very familiar passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Obviously, He's our example in all of these. Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied, and emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So He obviously is our example. This attitude of being humble in spirit, who better to look to than the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who humbled Himself for our sake. Listen to Luke 18.14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so this humility, guys, this humility, this, this being humble in spirit, this, this humility produces an attitude that is opposite of one that would produce a divisive spirit. Being, being humble. It's, it's an attitude 
to where you see others as more important than yourself, as more important than maybe always being right. Listen to what Thomas Schreiner says about this, this, this humility, this humble spirit. Harmony. He says, harmony and humility belong together in that pride and self-assertion are the primary means to disrupt harmony. And then Calvin says on the same, speaking of the same passage, for we know that it is the chief bond to preserve friendship when everyone thinks modestly and humbly of himself, as there is nothing on the other hand which produces more discords than when we think too highly of ourselves. So this, this, this being humble in spirit is so key. Matter of fact, when you read the Scriptures, when you think of the book of Proverbs and other places in the Scripture, one of the key attitudes, the, the, the contrast between the, 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 the godly and the ungodly, the wicked and the righteous, it's always, it's always prideful and humble. Prideful and humble. And so it's real important that we, that we see this. Guys, none of us, again, are going to possess any of these attitudes in perfection. Okay, But we just need to examine our hearts to see where we're at. And so how to, back to our question. How do we inherit this blessing, this good life? First of all, we must have the right attitude. Secondly, in verse 9, we must have the right actions. We must have the right actions. He says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Your, your, your Bible may say, instead of insult for insult, reviling for reviling. And so that word revile, that's what it means, abusive or insulting talk. Okay, so listen to what he says. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You know what he's saying? If you are in the if if you if you are have the mindset of retaliating or seeking revenge, stop it, he says. And if not, don't start it. It should not describe the Christian. Stop. What did our Lord say? He said it many different ways in many different places, but Luke 6, 28, 29, what did he say? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. So we have his example in his words, and then we have his example in his life. Again, we could look to many places, but right here in Peter in chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, we see his example. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. So we see our Lord's example in his warning. We see his example in his life. We see Paul say the same thing. He said it many times. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 12, he just simply says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we're reviled, we bless. And so we are, we are called for this purpose. 
That's the title of the sermon today. We are called for this purpose. And that's what we see in verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose. Or your version may say, for this purpose. And it's referring back to those actions. We're we're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For this we were called. We were called to follow Christ. Were we not? To follow His example. We're called to imitate Paul, Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So do you feel the need? Look in your own heart. Do you feel the need to always have to retaliate? You look in your own heart. Do you feel the need to retaliate? Do you feel the need to seek revenge? That's what He's calling us not to do. Does the world not consider it weak not to retaliate? I mean, they consider it very weak if you don't what look out for number one. Right? I remember a guy years ago, um, I was dealing with a relationship. Somebody had done something really, 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 really bad to me. Let's just put it this way. And this guy, he thought he was giving me advice. And, and I was struggling through it as a young Christian. And he just said, I'm so proud of you for not forgiving that person. <laughs> Which I did forgive the person, but that's the world's advice. So that's opposite of us, Right? The world considers it weak not to retaliate, not to seek revenge, not to look out for number one. But we're called to live a life in a certain way as the people of God, with Christ as our example. Look over in verse 2, verse 21 again. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. It's like Peter's reconnecting with what he said there in chapter 2. We're called to live a certain way with Jesus Christ as our example. We're called to live a certain way to inherit a blessing. To inherit a blessing. And I, and I will say, I'll go ahead and say now, this blessing, this blessing that we're going to talk about is primarily our inheritance that we're going to receive in heaven. Obviously, the, our, the salvation applies to this, this life as well. All the benefits that go. But Peter's driving home that inheritance that, we'll look at, that he talked about in chapter 1 that we'll look at here in just a moment. But back to our question. How do we inherit this blessing that we see in verse 9 or this good life that we see in verse 10? First of all, we saw we must have the right attitudes. Then we must have the right actions. Now we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 and kind of unpack this. So the third and final point would be for the scripture says. For the scripture says. Look at verse 10. That word for. See, this is where he's quoting back to Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. So he's going back to the scriptures, the scriptures they, that they possess, the Old Testament. So that's why I had Jamie read 34. We skipped a few to, to read that since that's. Really, what Peter's referring back to today. Psalm 34, verse 12 through 16, is what he referred to, not word for word. But the word for, Peter is saying the old, or he's implying that the Old Testament scriptures are his authority. 
right? He just said what he said in verse 8 and 9, and now he's saying, for the Scripture says so. That word for links verses 10 through 12 back to verse 9, okay? This is really helpful, guys. I'll give you a summary real quickly. This is out of Thomas Schreiner's commentary. I just wrote it down word for word because I thought it really gives clarity to what Peter's saying, okay? So in verse 9, this is really a summary of what's going on, verses 9 through 12, okay? So in Peter's words, in verse 9, he says, You are called to bless so that you will inherit the blessing of eternal life. That's what he's saying in verse 9, okay? For, that word for, this is, verse, this is verses 10 and 11. For anyone who wishes to experience the life, or I wrote above it the good life, of the age to come must shun evil speech and do good to all in order to receive that blessing. Verses 10 and 11. Verse 12, For the Lord's favor is on the righteous, but He will judge the wicked. Okay, so he's connecting verse, verses 10 to 12 back to 9. Peter said what he said, and now he's saying, For the Scriptures say so. That's my authority. So let's look at verse 10. This is referring back to Psalm 34. I will say this, Psalm 34, more so than Peter, is referring to this life, okay? Peter is referring more to the age to come, although it could apply in this life as well. If you follow Christ, if you follow Christ, you're not guaranteed an easy life, but you are guaranteed an abundant life. But the good life that Peter's focusing on is the, is the age to come. So verse 10, he says this, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. James has a lot to say about the tongue, if you guys remember. If you just flip over a couple pages in the book of James to your left, we'll look at just a few scriptures real quick. Talking about the importance of our words, our tongue. First of all, James 1.26, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And then chapter 3, verse 6 in James. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And then chapter 5, verse 12, speaking about our words, the things that come out of our mouth, but above all, above all my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no no, so that you may not fall under judgment. And he's obviously referring back to, back to our Lord in, in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. So he's talking about just the vileness of the human tongue, what comes out of our mouth. Okay? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, connecting the tongue back to our heart, which is the root of it all, is it not? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, speaking of these things that, that come out of our mouth, whether it's 
vile language or whatever the case may be, whether it's telling lies, deceit. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So have you ever thought of it this way, guys? Your, your mouth, the words that come out of your mouth, is a tattletale of what's going on in your heart. And, and me too. Our mouth reveals what's really going on in our heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So we see that these things, it always goes back to the heart. Behavior, words, it always goes back to the heart. And in verse 10, back in verse Peter 3, he said, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit. Verse 11, he must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. He must turn away from evil and do good. What does that sound like? A word that's not real popular. That sounds like repentance. That sounds exactly like repentance. The one who desires to this, this blessing, that, to inherit this blessing, to, to really experience the good life. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Repentance. Really a word that does not get spoken of as much. Doesn't get explained what it is. We need to remember what repentance is. Guys, repentance is not just stop doing something bad, okay? It's not cleaning up your life. Repentance is a change of mind. That's what the Greek word means. It's a change of mind that God grants us. That God gives us. It's when we have a complete change of mind about really everything that's important in life. Spiritually speaking. Who we are. We go through life thinking that we're really good people. That God just... Man, He just thinks we're outstanding. And we see what God's Word says. That there's none good. There's none righteous. That we're wicked. That we're evil. That's what Jesus called His own disciples. Repentance is when we begin to agree with God. And we see that, yeah, we're really not righteous. It's having that change of mind that God produces in us. And we start seeing God for who He truly is. Christ for who He truly is. Eternal judgment for the reality of what it really is. It's, it's a change of mind which then leads to a change of behavior. What, what we hear about turning away from evil. Those are more of the fruits of repentance. So that's real important. That, that repentance is not something that we, that we do to earn anything with God. Repentance is a... Is a is a grace that a work that God does in us which leads to a change of direction, a turning away from sin. The turning away from evil is the fruit of repentance. We need to remember what John the Baptist said, or John the Baptist said in his preaching ministry. Therefore, he told the people, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit and keep in keeping with repentance. And so it's just, that's just real important. He's calling, he's, he's, he's calling us to repent. 
If we're going to see the good life, if we're going to inherit this blessing, the question has to come down. Have you ever repented of your sins and turned to Christ? That's the question. And how do we know that we've truly repented? Because it's a, it's a grace. It's a work that God does in us. It's not a one-time deal. We continue to repent throughout our life. But we can't remember what the Bible says about repentance. It is essential. There, there are those who preach that there's salvation apart from repentance. But when we remember what repentance really is, it's God-granted. It's God-granted. And so the, 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 the person who has truly repented is doing so because God has already worked in their life. That's real important to remember. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. For godly grief, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. Jesus said that unless a man repents, he will perish. So Jesus Christ could not be any more clear that, uh, and the Bible could not be any more clear that there, where there is no repentance, there has been no salvation. And then verse 11, it says he must seek peace and pursue it. He must seek peace and pursue it. You guys remember way back in the Beatitudes, Matthew, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. And you guys remember what that pronoun they and all of those different blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. That word they, the word autos, it's an emphatic pronoun that means only they. You guys remember that? We went over that every time. Blessed are the peacemakers for they and only they shall be called the sons of God. So that's what he's saying. He must seek peace and pursue it. Who are the ones that seek peace and pursue it? The peacemakers. The one whom God has made peacemakers. By first of all, calling them to Himself, they have, we now have peace with God. We begin to be able to have peace in our relationships. We, have, we, have, we desire to see other men, sinful men, and a holy God we, we desire to see them reconcile. We become peacemakers. And it says, seek peace. It says he must seek peace and pursue it. That, that phrase, seek peace, there's an intensity to it. It's like the hunter vigorously tracking down his prey. If you could imagine that. To actively pursue freedom. And to pursue this peace. Verse 12, it says, The eyes of the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. This phrase means that this, this is the idea of God the Father looking after them for their good. It says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He's looking after them for their good. He's meeting their needs. In Psalm 34-7 that Jamie read a while ago, which was a few scriptures before what Peter's referring to. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. Who are those who fear Him? That's His people. 
The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. So the eyes of the Lord are upon His people. It says they are toward the righteous. Okay? Who are the righteous? The Bible says none are righteous. So who are the righteous? Those who have been made righteous. Amen? The only people who are righteous are those who have been made righteous. Because the Bible says there are none righteous. So hopefully, I'll, hopefully you guys will see the connection here in a minute that Peter is not preaching or teaching works righteousness. Hey, if you do these things, then you'll inherit that blessing. That's not what he's saying. And I think you guys know that. It says in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. That means He loves the righteous. God loves the righteous. Why? Because He loves this righteousness that we possess. He loves the righteousness that has been imputed to them, to those that are righteous. Why? It is a perfect righteousness. The only kind that He will accept, right? God only accepts a perfect righteousness. And where is it from? It's from His beloved Son. His righteousness imputed to us. That's who the righteous is. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Christ is the one whom the Father loves. Christ is always the hero. He is the one whom the Father loves. All those who are in Christ by grace through faith. That's who the righteous are. Through a, through a righteousness that's foreign to us, that has been imputed to us. And, and those are the ones, the righteous, the, the very ones in verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Those are the ones who have been made righteous through the imputed righteousness, through faith in Christ, and those are the same ones who have been born again. They've been born again. They've been born of God. Okay? What does 1 John 3, 9 say? It says this, guys, no one who is born of God practices sin. Practices sin. Doesn't mean we don't ever sin, but practices sin because His seed, the very life of God, abides in Him. That's real important to remember. These are the very ones who will receive the blessing and the good life that it's talking about. Those who are righteous. They are the ones, the, one, the ones who have been made righteous because of the work of grace that God has done in their lives by giving them a new heart. Has God given you a new heart? Have you been born again? No longer living life to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. You think about, you think about this the, in verses 8 and 9, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Just think of the very opposite of all that. It's somebody who would be living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's real easy for those of us who came to Christ as an adult, man. I mean, before, before Christ, it was all about self. It was all about self. But because of the work of God and the the, the new life that He's given us through the new birth, through the repentance that He's given us, our life begins to mirror verse 8 and 9 now. They no longer live for themselves, but they live to love God and to love others. 
Not perfectly, but that's what we're striving for. And that they now to begin to manifest these right attitudes in verse 8 and these right actions in verse 9 that Peter is describing. Again, just so there's no confusion in a text like this, Peter is not teaching salvation by works. Amen? Not teaching salvation by works. This would be a good passage of Scripture that somebody could just rip right out of context. So you see, if you want, if you want this inheritance, you've got to do this, 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 this. But what comes first? The new birth. And just to be reminded that Peter's not preaching salvation by works, if we just turn to chapter 1, one of the most beautiful passages in the whole letter, I think. I think it was the second message. Blessed be the God and Father, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who caused us to be born again? Did we cause ourselves to be born again? No, God caused it. What was His motivation? His mercy. What is the hope that we have? His resurrection from the dead. That's why we have hope, because Christ rose from the dead. And then and look at verse 4. There it is. To obtain. It says, it says we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you. For who? Those who've been born again. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed when? In the last time. That's what Peter's talking about here in this inheritance in chapter 3. And then also, chapter 1, verse 23, we see the means by which we were born again. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. So all of it is by grace, by mercy. God did it all through His Word, by His grace, because of His great love, His mercy. And so the question is for everybody here, are you born again? As you're sitting in here today, are you born again? What does it look like to be born again? Have you turned from evil? Have you turned from your sin to God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith? Those who are born again, the evidence of that is that we, we turn from our sin and we turn to Christ. And it's not just a one-time deal. It's not, well, I got, it. I got my ticket punched and I'm on my way to heaven. I got that ticket punched at Falls Creek 16 years ago and there's no fruit in my life. I, there's no love for the Lord. That's not what it is. Have you turned to Christ? Are you trusting in Him today? As you sit in here today, are you trusting in Him? Is He the, is he the desire of your heart because of what God has done in your life? Are you born again? Oh, if you're not born again, if you have not turned from your sin, if you have not trusted in Christ alone, may I remind you that the Bible says, behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, it doesn't even say today is the day of salvation. It says now. Now. You might not make it through today. Your heart may give out today. You may have a head-on collision on the way home. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Can I plead with you today? 
Don't leave this place separated from God in your sins. Don't leave this place. You know, sometimes we can get too afraid to give any kind of invitation. But I want you to know that the invitation is always now when the Gospel is being preached. It's always now. It's always go to Christ now, right where you're sitting. Cry out for mercy. Trust in Him by faith if you do not know Him. If you do know Him, could I encourage you maybe times in the future, anytime you're hearing the Gospel preached like this and a plea to pray silently for maybe somebody who doesn't know, Guys, this is serious stuff. Okay, we, we, we meet every week and things can get complicated, you know, with church life. But guys, why are we here? If it's not to plead with those who do not know Christ to come to Him while you have time. Hell is real. Hell is real and hell is filling up as we speak. Don't let that be you. Come to Jesus Christ today. Verse 12. Still in verse 12. Uh, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears attend their prayer. You, you ever heard the, the phrase, guys? You know, maybe That guy, he has the ears of the president. Or he has the ears of so-and-so who's real important. That phrase just... Um, just simply means if you have the if you have the ear of someone in in a position of power, you know if you have the ear they they pay that just means they pay great attention to what you have to say. Maybe even follow your advice. That's what that phrase means, guys. That's what this is saying about us. It, that's what it's saying about the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. Did you know that those who are righteous, God's people, God's elect. The righteous ones have His ear. We have His ear. That's what it's saying. That should motivate us to pray. That's all I'll say about that. But that should, man, that should motivate us to pray and not give up, guys. You know, there may be a lot of important people in this world that don't think you're very important. Who cares? You have God's ear. You have God the Father's ear if you were one of His righteous ones. And how are we one of His righteous ones? Through faith in Christ. But the face of the Lord, finishing in verse 12, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil or against the wicked. Remember, you always have the righteous and the wicked. Just think of Psalm 1. The righteous and the wicked. That's the contrast. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil or the wicked. The Lord's favor on those who live right... The Lord's favor is on those who live righteously. Why? Because they are righteous through Christ. But the anger of the Lord, this phrase here, the, the face of the Lord, when it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, that just has the idea that the anger of the Lord, and it, remember in His perfect holiness, the anger of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord is upon the wicked. That's what this phrase is saying. It's not an endearing phrase. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's an endearing phrase to God's people. Just the opposite when it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His bow is drawn back. His arrow's about to fly when He releases it. And if you guys remember when we went through that 
psalm, his arrows always hit the target. He has a perfect judgment. His eyes, nothing escapes his eyes, right? No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they will give account. If you're not in Christ today, heed this warning, please. How will you escape the wrath of God if you neglect such a great salvation that's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone? There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. Jesus is it. And how will you escape the wrath of God if you neglect Christ? You won't. You won't escape. His face is against those who do evil. Turn to Christ today so you don't perish. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your your patience, God, that You have demonstrated demonstrated to us, Lord, and not taken our very life the moment we sin against You. But Lord, Your Word says that that your, Your kindness and Your patience leads us to repentance. Father, I just pray that those in here, Lord, who do not know You, Lord, I pray that they would recognize that, Lord, how kind and patient You have been with them. That they would recognize all the good things that come from You. All the good food, the taste buds You give us, the family, the friends, the relationships, the laughter all the beauty of Your creation, You give it to those who shake their fist at You. And Father, we just pray for them, Lord. We pray for their conversion. We pray for Your mercy, God, to be revealed to them. Pray that You would save those who do not know You, Lord. I pray, Lord, for everybody in here, Lord, who You call the righteous, those who have been adopted into Your family through Christ, those who have been had the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, who are now declared righteous through the work of Christ. Father, I pray that they are reminded of the goodness of Christ, of the mercy of Christ, of the, of the greatness of this gospel that You have entrusted to us, Lord. And I pray that, that we would be good stewards of it, that we would faithfully proclaim it. I pray that they would f- faithfully preach it to themselves, Lord. Um, No better way, Lord, to remain humble and to not get complacent, Lord, than to remind ourselves of this, of the sin debt that you have paid in full and this judgment that you've delivered us from when we think about Christ and his, his life and death and resurrection. Lord, we pray that Christ is glorified in all that we say and do, Lord. Um, Just pray, Father, that you would remind us once again of Your death, Lord, as we remember Your death, as we remember Your blood that You shed for us, as we remember Your broken body, Lord, as we take the elements today. Father, may it, may it strengthen Your people today. In Christ's name, Amen.